Hi everyone, my name is Talia Smith and I am the curator of the 2020 Churchy Emerging Art Prize. With me this evening I will be chatting with finalist and overall winner Emily Parsons-Lord. Hi Emily, thanks for joining me. Um, firstly, I would like to start off by asking you to chat us, chat with us, chat with us, talk us through the work that appears in the Churchy. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. Um, the work is a four-minute video piece that um, I suppose uh, uses um, some film effect pyrotechnical um, apparatus to kind of um, shake the foundations of a wall that's built into a space. And uh, the work really for me a lot is about the experience of being a witness to sort of climate spectacles. And... Um, the emotional texture that it leaves behind, that trace feeling, you know, because alongside the sort of horror of experiencing as a witness a climate collapse, such as the bushfires, for example, that we experienced last summer, um, there's, there's sort of that residual sensation, there's the, the horror and the beauty of it. It's kind of really or uh, gobsmacking, you know, like it, it sort of dazzles us into inaction, you know, and then there's a quiet lingering emotional texture of waiting and watching and resettling. And so um, I was really trying to um, capture that experience that I feel we've all had, particularly in this glorious year, this year of our Lord 2020. <laughs> I think too, it's really interesting um, you talking about because it reminds me of, um, you know, the term ruin porn, which is big in photography, of course. Um, and it's that similar kind of thing where it's the beauty in this like kind of horrible, you know, well, spectacle, like you're saying, or just horrible failure of man, essentially. And that's what most of the ruins are. Um, you know, they generally fall into disrepair because of like economic decline or, you know, environmental decline or something like that. So I think there's something quite similar in what you're exploring um, in terms of the photographic world too, which is funnily enough, because didn't you study photography? <laughs> yeah, photo media is my background and I think it comes up in really surprising ways for me. Um, uh, but to go back to the, the, yeah, that idea of disaster porn or like nature porn and those sorts of aesthetics is what I, I was really interested in drawing out in the film as well. Um, I spent some time on residency in Iceland and Icelanders are very accustomed to people making Iceland porn. And it really is just like this sort of, um, it's almost tacky now because it's been overdone, but that kind of, it, it, it comes up close to a sense of the sublime, you know, which is the beauty and terror of nature. But because it's, you know, this day of um, being awash in imagery and being awash in these sorts of um, spectacles, like uh, landscape spectacles, it could be an avalanche, it could be, you know, the carving glacier. Um, and I'm really glad you picked that up, actually, Talia, because that really, it was so key, that sort of language and thinking around the way we um, aestheticize this disaster and aestheticize um, the crumbling of nature, this collapse. Um, it really is pornographic. It really is that kind of edge of like gratifying in an almost improper way <laughs> to, yeah, to look yeah. and to watch and to get close. And yeah, I'm really pleased that you mentioned that. That's yeah. In terms of the 
like production of the work, you know, um, I think it could be quite interesting for the audience to hear about how the work was originally going to present, be presented. Um, you know, it was going to be a live performance and it's now a video and I wonder if that has changed the reading of the work for you or added another dimension that maybe you hadn't thought of or, yeah, just curious to how that affected personally for you, um, how you mm. feel about the work. Yeah, the, um, the making of the work, it was a real product of the COVID times, I suppose. Um, because uh, originally, because uh, uh, the date was moved as well. Actually, moving the date originally allowed me to even think big enough to um, build a, a new work. And it's quite a risk to make a new work for, for this. Um, but I was so excited to be able to do it. Um, and originally, it was conceived as a live performance. Um, and performance for me, um, my style of performance is very much um, me having a conversation. I'm really interested in storytelling and conversations. So it would have been quite a, a personable kind of talk um, directly to the audience, uh, followed by the kind of anticipation of this spectacle or, or you know, I was hoping to construct it so that um, the audience wouldn't necessarily know what was coming and then to have that moment of collapse and um, the kind of dust settling and that sort of thing. And, and so then that would have um, occupied the space in the gallery as a trace residue, I suppose, that I was hoping would stand alone in its own right. Because, um, again, I was trying to mirror those sorts of um, disaster nature spectacles. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it was a bit of a leap into the unknown, but a really pleasing leap to move to film, um, particularly because I'm using all of these sorts of um, film pyro special effects. Um, and I guess for me, it was always about this sense that we have constructed our own means for destruction and then we realize it and then we do it anyway. And then we kind of wonder in the spectacle. So the idea that I could really control the frame and I could really control the mood through the sound and I could have all of these sorts of um, tools at my disposal that, um, you know, it was really exciting for me to experiment with um, having not really made much video before uh, was really exciting and it felt really cogent when it came together to, um, include all of these layers of construction and then the moment of chaos and it was a very constructed moment of chaos as well because um anything that looks sort of natural in film has been constructed you know like each bit that pops out is kind of carved into so you know what shapes you're making at the back and it, it was a very backwards way for me to work i suppose in terms of process but um it was really interesting and I think it was really appropriate and I'm really pleased actually that it um, required those sorts of um, tinkering because um, I don't think I could have achieved the same sort of um, uh, affect um, if I hadn't used film. So, you know, like being able to use like camera angles and then time and space and also the sound. I think the sound is really important as well. Um, when we had that artist talk with, with everyone, um, you know, I did mention to you that I, for me, seeing the work um, as a video, I really just feel like it, there was just that sense of dread, you know, um, constantly while watching it. But, and I really, really enjoyed that. And I feel like you wouldn't have gotten that in the, the one performance if you hadn't have obviously been in the audience to, to see it. 
and you know we hadn't gotten to the point where we were able to once it was ruled out we were we didn't then discuss whether there would be a video documentation or something or whether it was just the remnants of um the performance that would be left there but i feel um you know personally there, there was quite a success with that and it, well, like i just can't i couldn't stop watching the video even though i know what's going to happen mm. and it's like kind of scary because i'm always like oh no it's the wall it's so beautiful and then it's going <laughs> to like oh no but it's the whole thing where it's a spectacle and i can't help but watch and not look away like that's also i think really added to it by it being a bit yeah. Yeah, I'm so pleased to hear you say that because that's exactly the sensation that I was trying to achieve, the sense of anticipation, waiting for the next spectacle, waiting for the next disaster to happen. Um, and I think the other thing that the film achieves that a live performance would not, it would have been different with a live performance is, again, I, I back to that sort of disaster porn or that nature porn where you can see the details. It's in slow motion. You can see the moment it breaks through. You can see, and then you, and then it wipes it clean, and you wait again mm. for it. You, you get the the um, the uh, extreme close up cutaways. You get all these moments. You see like the slow movement of the um, dust in through like those shards of light. Um, and so I guess yeah, being able to look close, watch again, and you kind of get this confirmation by not um, like this uh, gratifying confirmation by watching it again and again. Um, and I think it's um, yeah another thing when we spoke in our group um, chat, artist talk was being a little bit out of control. It really shaking the safety of our foundations. You know, having no control over it. We're really living in a condition where the decisions of hundreds of years in the past are catching up to us. The accumulation, the aggregation of all those decisions are really a material reality for us today. And so that sense of being just kind of um, left aloft, set free to kind of <laughs> bob around in it, I, I quite like it. I feel, I think the film really achieves a lot more than a, a guided performance conversation yeah. would, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, like any other iterations that you might do in the future, you know, whether you do end up doing it as performance and we could see how that would work. Um, this is a little bit of a corny question, but I think audiences always want to know this kind of thing. Um, your titles are always really beautiful for your works, so very poetic and a bit lyrical. Um, I was wondering, I guess, how you came to this or, you know, what you feel from the title. I know they're quite important to you. If you don't tell us the title again, that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> I have to look it up on the background. Um, yes. Uh, standing still with practice, one may learn to accept the feelings of groundlessness. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I find that the titles for me um, do a lot of work that I often need done, um, especially because often I work in quite a minimalist aesthetic. Mm -hmm. um, where a lot of the materials might be invisible or, um, you know, um, have a, a long story behind them. Um, so titles for me often operate as um, a kind of guide to this register that I'm operating in or that the work is intended to operate mm -hmm. in. And so for, for this work, I, I read a lot and um, 
This work was taken, this, this title was taken from a book by Jenny Offhill um, called Weather, which is quite a beautiful work as well, where she's kind of, mm, yeah, considering what it means to live in the middle of a catastrophe, like the climate crisis. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny where you can speak so offhand about it, isn't it? But, yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, so some of the language I've taken, you know, the feelings of groundlessness and that instead of, you know, I play, I do play around with them until I feel right. Um, for a while, it was sensation of groundlessness, but it's not because it also operates in an emotional register. And so that's more of a feeling. So um, I guess the, the guide, for this title was to really, I guess, linger on the idea of groundlessness. Yeah. And really um, what the changes to our environment are doing to our most fundamental infrastructure, mm -hmm. um, physically as well as maybe emotionally or psychologically, when, you know, um, the power goes out for a while and then suddenly there's chaos and pandemonium. Um, and I feel like it's not um, melodramatic to assume that that's quite close by, um, you know, especially in this year, 2020, you, you know, like it's not melodramatic. And I really think that it's something that we're all adapting to and we all need to adapt to and maybe think a bit more, about, well, think, think more about it and, and yeah, I don't know if I really, that was a terrible yeah. answer. No, it's not a terrible answer. I think that there is a um, aspect of uh, well, that like you know how you're saying we built our own destruction essentially is what you know the human race were very well known for for centuries for doing that, um, building our own downfall. But I think we're also then in this term of term of groundlessness and how what you were just saying we we're just setting ourselves up again for you know this kind of like none of us uh, know how to do anything, not none of us, but lots of us don't know how to do things that don't involve technology. Again, we're setting ourselves up for this insane, like fall. I don't, you know, it's not like if I was, you know, I'm not Bear grills. I'm not going to survive in the bloody forest. Like, no, technology, technology doesn't mean the internet necessarily. Like technology no, like, can be the most basic. I don't know how to use a compass properly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, do you remember orienteering in school? I do. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I was bad at it. Very bad at it. So, I don't know. I just find that really interesting you bring that up. And when you talked about the blackouts as well, I was like, it does throw us into chaos. Like the smallest things throw us into chaos now because, like you're saying, we have no infrastructure. Um, we have no experience in anything that isn't to do with technology, whether it's the simplest thing like a, a, an actual analog compass. Hmm or our phones or the internet or yeah, electricity or whatever. Like it's, I find that really, really interesting. And also in terms of your work with that video that you've made with this idea of groundlessness, it's funny because the work to me, it means two things, that kind of term for, for me and, and that video because mm. the spectacle and, and the way that it crumbles grounds me with the work, but then I'm taken away again. I'm groundless from I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm trying to speak too poetically, so it sounds confusing mm -hmm. as I'm trying to say it. So I feel grounded as I watch the destruction, mm -hmm. but it's like the way that we separate ourselves from when we watch things, you know, like this ruined porn and things that we're talking about. I feel grounded because I'm like, oh, I'm watching this thing actually happen. However, it's not happening to me. 
So I'm also removed. So I'm like grounded and also not grounded. It's a weird, you have a very interesting way of playing with those two. Um, yes, like, that's absolutely work. true, Talia. Like uh, the idea, it's a, it's a um, human hubris thing, the idea that there'll be one spectacular downfall that happens all over the world all at one time, you know, like, like the, um, you know, the end of the dinosaurs or something. But, yeah. you know, like, I mean, the end of the world has happened many times. It's happened for so many communities and so many people in different times and parts of the world throughout history. And so this idea of watching things through a screen, being separate from it, but actually embroiled in it at the same time is, is really, um, yeah, pertinent, I think, as well, to having it be in this form of the video. Like, honestly, I'm so pleased that, uh, that COVID prevented me from executing it in the original format yeah. because I think it's really significant that it ended up in this form. And I think, I think that's one of the reasons. The idea of the screen, that the idea of being so close to the destruction yeah. and being so um, physically distanced to it. Yeah, I mean, also simultaneously, entirely not physically distant. I mean, like, I, know. I don't know. A lot of my work up until now has been about air and including air yeah. and using the material of the air. And every time we breathe, everything we just being a body alive on the earth, you're kind of touching climate change. You know, you're, you're touching the, the, the changes that are materially being made to the earth around us because of human activity. Um, that was a good segue into my next sort of like question to talk about um we uh sorry your practice um a lot of the works that i have seen previously whether it's like the um air bar or the um the cat is about to walk past <laughs> i just love it because she could have gone that way without being in the shop but she decided to go do 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 She's made an appearance in quite a lot of these, um, so you're not special, sorry, Emily. Um, no, but what, um, so whether it's seeing the, yeah, the air bar or it's the, you know, small button that you press and um, a bit of air comes out or even the gallium work, which is larger at Dominic Mersch now at the moment than I had seen it in previous iterations, but it's still rather subtle and I'm interested in uh, this kind of move, at least how I'm viewing it, if I'm thinking of kind of chronologically of your work, this kind of move to more of the larger spectacle like the explosion works or like this just, you know, um, deconstruction of a wall, you know, they're, they're quite large things and also a wall means a lot in terms of like metaphorically. So I'm just interested in this kind of change that I'm noticing in your work and whether you can talk about that or your thoughts around that. Yeah, I, um, my, my pathway into the explosions really comes through air as well. Air for me does so much work uh, in terms of being able to think about things simultaneously. You know, you can move from the scale of the planet all the way down to the atomic scale and all of the discourse that is kind of encapsulated in that movement. Um, just talking about this kind of alluring material that is invisible, but so um, readily, like evidently real. <laughs> it kind of, um, it's, it's a material, but it's also like necessarily, you have to use your imagination. So it really, for me, like um, moves through a lot of these sorts of categories and does a lot of that kind of poetic stuff as well as very physical stuff. Um, and so thinking about the 
air um, brought me into thinking about an explosion. I mean, explosions are air, really. It's sort of a rapid um, <laughs> change from, of pressure from one state into another. And, and I think um, that moment of explosion is um, casts you into chaos and the unknown, really, because um, from from order into disorder, and and I think that's um, another um, way to access those sorts of um, coexisting scales. You know, scales. If you think about the you know the materials of the earth all came from the explosive collapse of a star, um, and then we as humans have. Um, could almost be characterized as being uh, a species of the combustion engine of the flame of yeah. being able to control these explosions in various ways. Um, and so it's very material, but it's also very temporal and transformative. And um, I think that's where my interest in the, the explosion <laughs> resides. <laughs> um, it is, um... What was I going to say that air, the explosions are making it tangible in a way. Yeah, it makes it tangible, you know I mean? but like, fleeting as well. It, it's, it's fleeting in a way that you can see it and you can be dazzled and awed by it, but you can't hold it and you can't yeah. pause it and you can, you can't touch it really, or, or you, you know, understand it's, um, you can't map its dimensions very easily or, or you have to do it through metaphor or through trace or through um you know some kind of um proxy um yeah i'm still i think i'm really excited by it because i i'm still getting to know getting to know what it is and what it means and but i think it's a really valid metaphor for the kind of like exponential expansion um of Oh, everything you know like technology we were talking about earlier or or emissions or population or uh, knowledge or you know you know ideas like progress um, you know uh, and so when you have something that's so such an exciting performative transformative gesture that can stand in for huge ideas and huge thoughts I don't know, I, I'm finding it really alluring and I'm hoping to work a lot more with it. And um, yeah, thinking about the materials of the explosion. Because then it also, I, I think the other part of the explosion for me is that it really is a spectacle. And, you know, it's like the, you know, the, the, the sort of, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm only thinking of wanky words that I don't want to use. <laughs> like, as the old dictum goes, Talia. <laughs> You know, when something is characterized as like an accident you can't look away from, those sorts of things, it's like, it becomes a spectacle. And I think, um, you know, we're little fish in the deep, dark ocean that's lured in by the anglerfish, you know, we're yeah. dazzled by the disaster, by the danger, and, and we're dazzled by it into inaction. I think really we are, I mean. Well, I mean, I guess like just looking at the state of the world and the fact that climate change is nothing new they've been talking about it for the you know for so many years and nothing's really changed when you think mm. about it like yes we just keep um yeah being blown into good for like a bit of work because i can't think of another word right now into an action um and also there is that other thing i can't remember the term but isn't there like a 
what is that term that was uh, the like depression around climate change? Oh, so nostalgia. Yes. So nostalgia. It's like um, wanting to having homesickness and wanting to return home, but then that home and that place doesn't exist anymore. Wait, no, not that. There was something else. Um, no, I remember there was like an article or something that came out and there, there was people writing about it at least where it, it talks about this kind of idea of where we just, it's overwhelming. Climate change is overwhelming to people. And I think, um, you know, they were trying to say that yeah, that people are getting depressed or sad or whatever about like animal um, species dying, you know, like plant species dying, like it's like it's becoming part of like our, um, I guess the way we experience the world now is like, you know, rather than it being so separate from us, as it has, it's now actually infecting, like affecting us, sorry, infecting, affecting <laughs> us. Um, and probably infecting us yeah, as well. <laughs> um, us like even on different levels now, mentally, I feel. Like, mm. do you ever think that we're going to get to a point where we're just going to be like, actually, yeah, we've got to do something about it. Or is it just going to take the big moment where, you know, something is ruined essentially forever and then we go, oh, God, we shouldn't do that. I know this is like a massive question, but I'm just curious. No, 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 it's interesting though, because I feel like we're in that moment where it is ruined forever. I think this is the thing about competing timescales. We're already, this is the explosion. We're in it. Yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. in the explosion. That that moment is now, um, but it, it the experience of it is slow and it has little spikes of evidence, but it's also slow and not tangible in many ways when for, on a day-to-day -day kind of experience. The thing that gives me hope a little bit is, um, do you remember the CFC crisis where, you know, we banned CFC, you know, the yeah. world came together to ban CFCs. <laughs> um, I mean, it was the 70s, so maybe it was a more optimistic time. <laughs> um, you know, and that did happen, and we're still feeling the effects of um, those, um, chlorofluorocarbons in the air on the, and their effect on the ozone layer. Like that's still present. That's like a reality today. Yeah. Um, and, and, but it did change. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I also suffer from that, mm -hmm. um, you know, dazzled into ineffectiveness. I feel like, you know, there needs to be, oh God, what does there need to be? It is overwhelming. There needs to be top down you know. and also yeah. bottom up and also lateral and like, you know, I, I guess I think we can learn a lot from other um, structures of power and structures of um, distribution of power from, you know, non-white colonial <laughs> powers. And I, I don't know, I think that's something that can be taken a lot more seriously and yeah. um, instituted in different ways. I don't know. That's such a huge question. I know. Sorry. It was really, really big. I just, as we're chatting, I was like, huh. Curious. Um, I don't know. Do you think it will, Talia? <laughs> Do you think no. it could? I don't know. I feel like I don't I think that the moment we are in, even though you are correct in saying that, yeah, the explosion or you know has been going for a long time and we are in it, it's still not enough. Like it needs to be something where like the, it's like literally like half of like a massive chunk of the literal earth needs to like break. <laughs> 
and float away into space for people to be like, oh, no, we no, did that's that. Happening. That's happening. We pass those thresholds all the time, you know, like. Oh, the, I mean, um, like literally like just a, like a slice of cake just like comes out somehow on the earth. And like it needs to be that, I don't know, people are just so, it's hard because we get stuck in our like, we're in a capitalist society, so we get stuck in this day-to-day -day living that we do and not really thinking about like the future or, and I mean, this is just like general people. And then when you do think about it, it's overwhelming. And you're just like, well, what can I do on my level? You know, like, so you kind of, just don't do anything because it's like easier to not do anything. Almost. And then it feels really pointless to like, oh, I'm going to not use a straw today. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, it feels really yeah. tweaked. And then you're like, am I even helping this crisis? You know, like that just seems, yeah, when all of the companies who are manufacturing, you know, or using coal or whatever are still doing it. Like, you know, it's such a weird, complex thing that we're in. And um, I think it's really inextricable from capitalism. I really do. And I think, um, you know, like you and I, we make decisions on a daily basis, but actually it's like the top 10 companies <laughs> that yeah. own the world that are the biggest polluters and the most criminal offenders of regulation and, you know, all of those things. Plus governments, <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, totally. And then also when you then think about... Oh, you're in my high. Are we smoking? Then <laughs> <laughs> to get even darker, um, when you think about it, those decisions that we are making daily have actually been completely influenced by those 10 companies and capitalism and everything that we buy into via media and social media and advertising and all of that. Wow. That yeah, exactly, but that's absolutely true. We're not even making these choices. <laughs> yeah, like, did we really make this choice on our own? In the way we did. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Uh, speaking oh, of God. even more um, sad things, um, like yeah. failure, um, in your one of your bios that I read, you use the term or the word tragedy humour um, to describe your work, and I was wondering if you could expand on, on that. I think it's a very... Um, it was a really great term and a very funny term, which seems stupid to say that because it's called tragedy humor, but, um, and I feel like really relates to this idea of failure and that, which I believe is, is actually really huge in your work. And, you know, would you agree with that? Disagree? Just, you know, want to elucidate further on these kinds of ideas. Yeah, absolutely. I really identify with um, the idea of tragedy humor. It feels like um, a light motif that comes in and out of my practice and it crosses over subject areas. Um, and I use the word light motif because it really does operate in that emotional register. Mm. Um, I think when something is beautiful or something's funny, it undercuts the horror of it and it can actually just stab deeper. Um, yeah, I think it really, yeah, if, if you can um, at the same time kind of experience the horror of something but also find it beautiful or find it funny, it, it just cuts so much deeper. And I think it also um, takes it out of that sort of didactic, moralizing, Mm, space that a lot of work that 
looks at climate change can do. Um, and I think, you know, not that that's invalid or anything like that, but I think it, it, it allows you to stand with rather than opposite the audience member or that kind of response, you know, you're, we're, we're in this together. Like you stand with and you're like, wow, you, I don't know. I feel like it just cuts a bit deeper. And, and it, it is really important to my work. I use, I use humor a lot. Um, and I use tragic humor a lot. Well, I think that we are super desensitized to um, a lot of catastrophes or disasters or spectacles, you know, because of uh, the oversaturation of images and, and media that we can experience, you know, on every second of the day. Um, and I think that by, you know, it's smart to think about tragic humor and, and when you're making your work, because it's a way that, it, the reason why I believe anyway, that it cuts deeper is because you're gonna think about it later, if you know what I mean. Mm. Like it sits with you rather than you immediately start turning off when you see this, you know, spectacle of catastrophe happening, which is what we're so used to doing because we're just bombarded every day, you know, turn on the TV or just walk down the street and you'll see an advert or a thing pops up on your phone. So mm. I do think it's a very smart way of, um, engaging people mm. uh, and making them yeah i guess like think about it later or think about the way that that may be complicit in it or you know that kind of stuff yeah i agree really like one, one of the one of the moments that i think um that really highlights the tragic humor in the work that that i make mm. um is i made this work where i was recreating the air from different eras in the history of life on earth um, but the final kind of crescendo of the work really was to um, offer this future air. And it's a really central kind of air. It's human made. Uh, it's heavier than normal air. Like it, you can, you know, it feels like water, but it's air. And when you breathe it in, like it lowers your voice. Like <laughs> it's like the opposite of helium. So it kind of lowers your voice. But the other thing about this human made air is that it um, is also the most potent greenhouse gas that's ever been tested. You know, and but like, oh, you really want to try it. Like, you know, yeah. it's so funny. Like, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and I guess like I I'd use a material like that in my work, not to moralize or to kind of, um, implicate just the audience member like I'm bringing it in as well for us to talk about like but it's also not, it's not just me bringing it into the work it's it's us as a society that have made this material so it's like you know we're all yeah well I guess it's it's about like a share shared experience yeah um do you this has been a great conversation we are going to wrap it up however um <laughs> do you have anything else that you want to add about your work or just mention anything you don't have to just I like to ask this question just in case we've missed anything. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I was just really thrilled to make the work, I suppose. I'm really thrilled with the way it came about that um, I was able to kind of pivot into using video as a medium because I got a lot out of that and I'm excited to see where it will go in the future. Um, we're bringing that in as a, as a tool. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>